Welcome to another episode in our show. Today, we will be focusing on a much serious topic related to the pandemic. In order to do so, I'll begin with having ER doctors or ER hospitalists and their importance in our lives. ER doctors are doctors that respond to any number of illnesses or injuries. These honorable doctors have an important role in stabilizing and treating patients prior to determining next steps based on their health assessment. You guessed it, our next special guest is Dr. Vikash Mishra, an ER doctor that plays an integral role each day in treating our patients. He has his own practice, Mishra Med LLC. Today, Dr. Vikash Mishra is here to give us straight talk on today's pandemic and how we can take precautionary health measures related to COVID. Let's welcome Dr. Vikash Mishra. Hi, doctor, how are you? Good, thank you. Thanks for having me on your show, I appreciate it. Likewise, thank you so much, Dr. Vikash Mishra, on taking some of your valuable time to discuss the current pandemic, and especially given that the flu season is upon us, it's more important than ever to touch on this very important topic. Before we begin, do you mind letting our audience know who you are and how regular maintenance of our health is extremely vital compared to previous years? Yeah, my name is Vikash Mishra and I'm an ER trained doctor who works in Las Vegas area right now in multiple micro hospitals, which are basically a, a smaller hospital setting, but uh, nonetheless still emergency room care. And I think 2020 has been challenging for everybody in a lot of facets, but I think if we go back specifically to this virus uh, and tying it back to our health and prevention, the best thing and the only thing we really have are those two things. So it's important to maintain a level of comfort and, and um, uh, de-stressing ourselves uh, with the fact that every day we have to take it day by day and this is a virus. Uh, there's really no set cures that are out amongst us right now. This is why so many companies and scientists are working frantically and frenetically to get us something, but nonetheless, a virus that has plagued multiple viruses to the course of our of humanity have, have plagued us. So we have to uh, go back to the roots of our, of our cures, which happen um, mental health, spiritual health, physical health in the setting of nutrition and making sure we optimize our health so we can prevent viruses from getting the best of us. Uh, Dr. Vikash, I'm sure you have touched on some amazing areas of health that we certainly can deep dive. Let's begin with shedding some light on your practice setting what you have experienced in regards to COVID and what advice can you give the audience to take this time seriously? So it's varied. We see young, healthy people who have COVID and we see young, you know, elderly people with comorbidities who end up either not doing so great. Fortunately, I've had nobody succumb in my clinical setting, but I know of many who have passed away. So my condolences to those family members and those who are dealing with it. It becomes much more real when it's your family member and a loved one versus just a statistical number that you see on the news settings. And what I can say is, as, as I just had said, it's very varied. We see people who feel like it is just like the cold and flu and have a little bit of sniffles, maybe a loss of taste or smell and some body weakness and to the point where they feel like they don't even need to get tested and sometimes even those who argue with us for why we're testing them 
to very sick people who are requiring oxygen at large amounts and look like they might not make it and think that I think in this time, because we're such a population and generation of wanting a quick fix or wanting some certain answers right away, we have to remind ourselves that this is a long process and that because this is a unique virus that's hit the scientific community and medical community all at once, we have to be patient with those who are the experts in the field and allow them to do what they need to do. And with that becomes, that becomes challenging because there is a varied amount of information sources, there's a varied amount of practice guidelines, varied amount of ways of how to deal with this. And we've come a long way from March and April. And that's only a few months if you really think about it and take a back seat and realize that how much we've learned about this disease process and how we're dealing with it. And so I think I would, I would recommend people to just be patient and do the best they can to deal with all of the inundation of information that's coming their ways and, and be safe. And that's all you can try to do really. Absolutely, doctors. You hit on a lot of criteria when it comes to understanding about the flu and understanding about the information. Let's just basically clear the air on how COVID is contracted to begin with. Is it through the mouth, eyes, inhaled, sharing maybe bathrooms, surfaces that we're touching with someone and so on because we consistently get bombarded as you mentioned with all this information in your viewpoint how is it contracted it's a respiratory infection and so you have to be in close proximity to somebody with either the virus or the viral load either coughing sneezing close proximity i think the initial contact theory has been more or less displaced but the, safe, the social distancing of six feet and all those things all need to be maintained. I think it became a little bit of hysteria initially because we didn't know enough of how this was spread and we're still learning, as I said. So even what I might say today might change in a few weeks. But from, from my understanding of it, it, it's a respiratory virus, respiratory illness that is contracted through respiratory do- droplets. And so I think that's, that's why uh, we need to Maintain our distance, distance. wear our masks, yeah, keep our distance, wear our masks, and and be patient. (laughs) Absolutely. The other thing when it comes to the respiratory, which I'll get to in a bit on some of the questions I have related to that, I wanted to understand a little bit further on the COVID as well, on the symptoms that are associated with it. There are a lot of buzz around asymptomatic or pre-symptomatic COVID-19. What Exactly is the difference, if there is any, and in your thoughts, what are the precautionary steps we can take between the two, again, if there is any difference? So unfortunately, there's no precautionary steps that you can take to differentiate whether you're going to become asymptomatic or symptomatic. And I think that's challenging because we want uh, we want a solution and there's not a solution. So asymptomatic versus symptomatic means that you either feel like you're sick or you don't feel like you're sick. And that's the problem. So there's a lot of people who are asymptomatic carriers, which means that they don't have the cough, they don't have the fever, they don't have the lack of smell or things like that. And so then they're spreading it without knowing it. And that is, that is the problem. And it's scary. Mm -hmm. Especially because we don't know, or 
I'll take a step back, or maybe they themselves don't know they're asymptomatic because they may have not had a full-blown symptoms to understand that they need to get tested. Sure. Right? And, so, and that's the challenge, so. Yes, completely agree. So since the holidays are upon us at this moment with Thanksgiving and so many other Christmas that's coming up and you name it, New Year's Eve and so, many will gravitate towards holiday travel, mingling with family, even if they are in small numbers. I mean, family members, Let's face it, can be anywhere from 4 to 20. And who knows, during mingling and traveling, you may be exposed to folks that are could be asymptomatic or have had the full-blown COVID. We may become vulnerable in becoming exposed to them. If, let's say, one of the recent things I was questioning, if somebody is asymptomatic, one are they able to acquire COVID second time? Because that's always a question mark with a lot of us. And the people around asymptomatic patients, can regular individuals acquire COVID from asymptomatic patients? For example, if there's a family gathering, right? And in Thanksgiving that's coming up, there's a couple who were COVID positive, then quarantined 14 days and retested as being negative and the same couples happen to visit uh, the family Thanksgiving gathering, can they pass COVID to other members? Because that's always a hot topic at this moment. I think the research is still out there. So that's why the best you can do is to try to be as safe as you can and constantly wear your mask and don't put yourself in a predicament where you feel like if you are not retested, and you're not sure if you still have symptoms and you definitely shouldn't be around elderly or young people. I think that the reinfection has been demonstrated. There are some people who have been reinfected, so we have to be wary. We're not sure exactly the details of the reinfection rate and what that means for those who do get reinfected, but it is out there in the literature that there are people who have gotten COVID twice. And so we need to, we need to be wary of that. We need to be cognizant of that fact and basically continue with all of the guidelines that are being put out by the experts until we have further information. It's, it's very challenging. It's, it's very it's difficult for all because it's hard to not be around your loved ones. It's hard to not want to spend time with people, but you also have to do what's right because I saw a recent meme today and I, I thought it was really clever. It said, Zoom Thanksgiving is a lot better than an ICU Christmas. Oh. And, and I thought that really, really uh, it stuck with me because it's very easy to have your guard down when you feel like this isn't going to affect me. The numbers are just the numbers. But imagine if you lost one or two members of your family to COVID during the course of this year, how much more it means than just a number. So I think to answer your question, I think there's a lot of I wish asymptomatic symptomatic wouldn't get thrown out so much into the community because I think it confuses people when it's really just saying that we there are a lot of people who probably have COVID who you would not expect or suspect to have COVID. And they themselves might not be suspecting that they have COVID. And that's why the spread has gone on and on and on and on. And so I feel there's no way to tell if the person you're sitting on next to in the plane on your cross-country flight to visit grandma has COVID or not. You know, you kind of have to assume that they have it, which is why you have to wear a mask 
and continue with your social distancing and hand washing and all of that's laid out there for you. And in actuality, try not to travel unless you absolutely have. I completely agree with you. When in doubt, stay distant or avoid altogether the social distancing. And I loved your meme. I, I think that's very important. You know, there's other means, whether it's FaceTime, whether it's Zoom, to interact at this given time rather than just putting yourself or exposing yourself to your loved ones. And thank you for that. Now let's go back to one of the things that you mentioned earlier on COVID testing. So we touched a little bit on when we may have sinus infections or sinus type of symptoms. What exactly are most of the symptoms exactly that prompts us to have that COVID test? That would should alert us to say, no, this is something serious and we really need to go and get ourselves tested. Right. So that's a loaded question um, because, <laughs> because it is a virus. It is a virus and it can affect everyone who's the host very differently. So on the emergency room setting, what we really worry about is low oxygen and low oxygenation. So I've tested a lot of people in the last few weeks and actually have seen a lot of positive cases here in the Las Vegas area. And again, they run the spectrum. The majority of them were actually pretty healthy. I would say about 90% of them went home without a problem. Take Tylenol, take Motrin, maybe something for a cough if it's keeping you up at night. This is where your you know, vitamins, your orange juice, your nutrients that, that you know, optimize your health with sleeping well, hydration. And, and we say this prior to this year with influenza, it was always make sure you get your rest. Uh, you know, Tylenol, Motrin, rest. So those, those, two, those two drugs, I would say, are helpful. Acetaminophen, which is a fever reducer. Motrin, which is an NSAID, which will help with inflammation. And early on, as we've already said, this has already come full circle and will continue to come multiple circles. Initially, there was this small paper out of France which stated that Motrin was not advised and I think that put a lot of people in a frenzy because usually when you feel body aches or fevers, you run to get some Motrin. So Motrin and Tylenol, I definitely am a fan of. Um, and I think uh, you were talking about, I forgot where we were going with this, but we were talking about, about gamut, so symptoms. So symptoms, specific symptoms. Unfortunately, there's not a specific symptom that I could tell you, hey, this is what you have, you need to get tested. What we really worry about is shortness of breath. And this is an objective shortness of breath. This is not like, oh, I feel like, oh, I feel short of breath. This is like walking two steps or three steps makes you feel winded versus before you could walk down the stairs. Mm -hmm. And that is when you need to get emergent. You need to either call 911 or go to your local emergency room. And even that we've been come a long way from where we were in March with how we treated it. Initially, we were placing patients on ventilators. And I think the, the outcomes were not so great and that was a dismal time for big cities such as New York and I think we've come a long way from there. However, the symptoms as I said is a virus. I think if we had only honed in, as we did only hone in on cough, fever and shit chills and shortness of breath initially, we lost a lot of the people who had just the nausea, the diarrhea. So as a virus, a virus is a virus and like any part of your body, right? So you can see dermatologic like rashes some people in the pediatric population there was a lot of literature and a lot of people coming in with like non-specific rashes in march and april and people didn't pick up on the fact that that might have been a manifestation of covid so it would be wrong of me to say that this is the one symptom that if you have you absolutely need to get tested because 
we don't know. If we knew that, then we wouldn't be in this situation. It's a myriad of symptoms, and we just have to more focus in on those who are sick and try to minimize exposure and do everything we can to try to prevent this from being, you know, to get. But with the caveat, I do want to also throw out there that I think it's become such a buzzword and because of the lack of knowledge around it, initially it was like, oh, you have COVID, you're going to die. And I think that also got brought a lot of like fear into people. And I want to I want to let people know that that's not necessarily the case. And if you feel that you need to come to an emergency room, you should go to an emergency room to get tested and, or, or not, you shouldn't go to an emergency room to get tested. But if you feel like you need to get tested, you should try to make all of the arrangements so that you do get tested, but really come to the emergency department if you feel short of breath. A lot of times what will happen is one family member tests positive and it sends everybody into this frenzy where they rush to the emergency rooms or urgent cares to get tested. And there's really not much to do. If you're around someone who has COVID, you should kind of assume that you have it yourself and quarantine and stay at home and do the best you can to, to not mingle with others. Absolutely. I think you mentioning about the state of panic and just to stay calm is extremely crucial because it can spread more exposure when you are actually in the hospital because you don't know who has it and you might be exposed to other illnesses. So word of caution is to actually go ahead and take tests. There are many tests out there before you just try to go to the hospital. If I can rephrase your, okay. You mentioned about elderlies. You mentioned about certain demographics in terms of who are more vulnerable. Uh, what are exactly, I think we want to just circle back on that so the audience and the listeners understand the age group that could be highly exposed. And the basically, is there any spectrum of the population more vulnerable to acquiring COVID, such as age groups, health conditions, gender, or ethnicity? Is, do you have anything to shed light on that aspect? Unfortunately, I don't think that they acquire it at a different rate. I think that they suffer from it differently. So anybody can acquire it, right? So that's why these numbers are going up. You can have young college-age kids who are getting COVID at large amount of rates at these big college campuses that have continued to be open for whatever reason. There's a large amount of people between 18 and 24 who are at these universities and they're in close proximity to each other despite certain procedures in place for them to not be. However they so acquiring it i think is 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 widespread you know we see three-year-olds with it i saw a three-year-old with it i've seen an 86 year old with it so i don't think it's safe to say acquiring it is age specific i think the the big crooks is those who are elderly with comorbidities mainly diabetes hypertension hyperlipidemia high cholesterol those are the ones who usually tend to have a not so not such a great time with this disease. Right, because they're immune compromised. And I think that goes, right, exactly. So I think those, the ones who don't fare well with it are the ones who have comorbidities, but it's, you know, those comorbidities, unfortunately, in the Western world are pretty, pretty prevalent and rampant. And there's a lot of people who have diabetes and hypertension. And, and so it's, that's what you got to prevent. I saw a 70 year old a few weeks ago, who's unfortunately had a cancer surgery and her grandkids just didn't, not want to believe the social distancing thing and so unfortunately she got it through her grandkids she luckily did okay but i think she's done okay but uh i you know you just have to be really cognizant of 
who you're exposing just because you are running around doing your thing. And I think that is hard. The millennials, the generations below us, they're doing their best. They've been forced with a challenge like that was unforeseeable to any. And so it's easy for us to point fingers and say, well, if these people wouldn't do this, that, and the other. And I can understand that sentiment because a lot of people are frustrated. I mean, we're going on to eight month, month eight now of this, and it's very it's very difficult for people to continue to maintain the distancing and, and also just getting frustrated and, and that's understandable. And I think we can, we have to acknowledge that and not point fingers, but yes, it is very easy for younger generations to not understand the severity of this or the brevity of this, because to them, it is like a cough and a cold, but if one of them were to lose their grandparents or to lose their mothers or something, then it wouldn't just be a cold for them. And, and that's, that's why I think it's, it's just the frustration is real. The, the anxiety is real. The emotion involved with all of what's going on and the changes that everyone has to endure is real. And we have to acknowledge that we can't put, brush that aside. The depression, the psych, the psychiatric component of all that is going to, the toll, I mean, we're, we're going to see this for a year or so at least in regards to what people lost in regards to their jobs, their finances, their relationships, a lot, will, a lot is yet to come. And I think we are, you know, we have to count our blessings as blessings and count the unfortunate things as unfortunate things. So this is an unfortunate time. There's not a lot of answers. There's not one specific population who acquires this more than the other, but those who acquire it, and have comorbidities, unfortunately, do not do as well as those who don't have comorbidities. And it's just so hard because we're an intermingling society and you, everyone probably can name five or six people they know who have diabetes and high blood pressure and hyper, you know, high cholesterol. And those people might not do as well as somebody who just gets a cold and is over it. So mm-hmm. it's just the whole spectrum. That's the problem with this thing. It's like the spectrum of symptoms, the spectrum of people who get it, the spectrum of whether you do well with it or you don't do well with it. It's not so clear cut. It's not like, it's not like strep throat where it only affects your throat and it prevents a complication by giving someone an antibiotic and they're done in 10 days, they're fine. It's like, it's just the whole gamut and that's what's frustrating about it. And that's so true. I think you've pretty much summarized well when it comes to the seriousness of COVID that we shouldn't take it lightly, no matter who you are, what uh, age group you fall in. And thank you for that. I Hopefully the listeners have understood now when in doubt, and certainly when there's a bit of a question in your mind, keep your distance, take extreme precaution before you make any drastic decision for the sake of the community. Now, speaking about community, you mentioned about mass. Let's hit on that mass topic because this has been a a puzzling conversation and discussion from even in my pharmacy world, right? Because when we, when I dispense maybe a 95 mask or the, you know, there are many cloth masks that are out there. Those cute little ones that are sayings in printed ones. So there's always confusion. The, my patients are pretty good about understanding based upon what I direct to them, but I just wanted your thoughts on it. Now that because of these masks that are out there, are there any difference? About there are differences. Yes, please um, do tell. So 
the safest ones are not the cloth ones, but the surgical masks, the blue ones. And also, I'll use this point to make sure that people are wearing these masks correctly. Any of the colored part of the mask is what should go outward, a way that we remember in the medical community, the, the majority of them are blue, so blue towards the sky. So you want that colored part of the mask to be outward facing. And the reason being is the way the mask is made, it has a different layer of resistance on each layer. And so that white part should be closer to your face. The colored part should be towards the sky. If it's blue, it's easy to remember blue towards the sky. Some are pink, some are yellow. Those don't matter. Just make the pink and the yellow towards the sky. If I had a way to tell you that, maybe the sky to some are pink or yellow, but blue towards the sky for sure. So definitely the surgical masks are, are what everybody should really be using, especially when they're out in the community. Uh, the cloth mask, I have not done my research enough on it to specifically tell you why, but they're not as effective. Definitely those scarf type of things that people just roll up or not, that has been proven, I think, in a study from Duke University that said that those were actually not only not effective, but actually harmful. And uh, so the N95s really should be limited to healthcare workers who are in the hospitals with multiple exposures. And also, usually even within the healthcare setting, it's there's some conversation and, and talk about how the N95s really only need to be used when you're actually doing a procedure with someone's mouth. So dentists, if anybody's seeing dentists emergently, which they should be if they have like a horrible root canal infection or something like that, or if there's someone doing an endoscopy with a gastroenterologist and or an ENT, those are times when the mass surgeries in the operating room, N95s would be helpful. Really no one who's out in the community should be wearing an N95. That's not necessary. It's a waste of resources. And it's really not helping anybody more than the other. I, I do see a lot of people, I have flown a few times. I go back and forth to California for work. And so I have flown and everyone's all in their masks and stuff. And, and in the end, you have to do what's comfortable for you without hurting or harming those around you. So if you feel like you want to wear an N95 mask with a shield, go ahead. But you really just need this cloth, not the cloth, sorry, the surgical mask with our blue, blue, pink, or yellow on the outside. That is what you need. It should last about a day or so, and then you need to throw it away and unfortunately get another one. Um, and that's, that's, that's it. Mask up. Like <laughs> Mask up. And then to hit on, I know you, I know you like to bring it back to nutrition and health and I think as I was trying to prepare for this interview I thought what what can I say and I look back to our ancestors who've dealt with multiple viruses everyone keeps talking about the Spanish flu of 1918 at that time there were not there was not IV remdesivir and all these hot topic drugs that you hear about and all they had at that time was good nutrition and maybe they did have Tylenol and Motrin and things like that to reduce their fever. So let's go back to the roots, do the best we can. I'm not saying that Tylenol and Motrin is going to save everybody who has coronavirus, but for the majority of the people who do get asymptomatic and or asymptomatic carriers, those types of things, good rest, nutrition can be helpful. I'm not saying I'm not, I, I am an allopathic physician. I'm not a naturopath. So I'm not saying that that's all that you need. But I'm saying that there is some benefit into rest, hydration, and optimizing your vitamin status and your nutrition, which would be very helpful. I think as any pandemic hits, as any natural 
natural disease and or even like typhoons or earthquakes with this type of magnitude hit there's always research that comes you know four or five years down the road of like oh well this might have helped or this might have helped and I do think that if we look back and kind of step back I do think there will be some positive findings on how people had their what nutrition even their eating type I'm not a vegetarian or vegan but I do believe that maybe there might be some added benefits to vegetarianism or veganism in regards to how they manifest and how they deal with COVID versus other people. But that obviously is not out there. That's not, that's not scientific. That's just my hunch that there will be some, some good uh, guidelines down the road that might say that nutrition played a part in whether or not someone succumbed to COVID. Being in the health profession and to understand that ultimately if we want to strengthen our immune system and keep ourselves healthy, it brings a layer in terms of keeping the sickness at bay. And that's very important. I wish the two where when it comes to dispensing medications and understanding holistically what's important. I think if we go in that society where we understand the value and the need of nutrition and the supplements along with taking our medications, it kind of gives us the strength that we're looking for. And I really loved your feedback when it comes to the food and understanding the right types of food to whether it's veganism, you don't have to be vegan. You just have to eat healthy, eat your greens. And I think when it comes to supplements, you hit a great point on things like maybe vitamin D, the zinc, uh, turmeric for anti-inflammation. These are great things to take on a daily basis to help your immunity. So I really appreciate you bringing that to light. Now let's talk about the flu, shall we? It's because we're in this season, it's becoming a little tricky to understand the symptoms because a lot of the symptoms can be overlapped and can be interrelated to that, the COVID symptoms. So a lot, there's a lot of fear factor. Of course, we still continue with the work or day mingling. And there's this, what I've noticed, there are cases of fear and there's cases of patients and employees not coming to work and because they think they have COVID when in reality, it could be the flu and vice versa. So what are your thoughts about flu symptoms and how you can help yourself to differentiate between the two. And what is your recommendation on basically keeping healthy so you don't get the flu and you kind of help yourself differentiating between the two? So again, a loaded question. There's really no way to differentiate the two, unfortunately. So you, you know, there are a lot of people who have the flu and have COVID at the same time. I've seen that a few times this past week and a half here in the Vegas area. They're very hard to differentiate. The one thing though is you can get your flu shot and you should get your flu shot so you can kind of take that piece out of the picture. And in regards to differentiating the two, as I said, I would say COVID has a more, and this is again just anecdotally, but COVID has a more broad spectrum. Like some people will have nausea, dizziness, you know, muscle aches, whereas usually with the flu, it's pretty much fever, cough, runny nose. There are some people who would just have the nausea and diarrhea associated and get the flu that way. But you can, you know, if you're just having upper respiratory illness symptoms, i.e. 
runny nose, sore throat, ears clogged, sore, you know, cough, scratchy cough, um, fevers, chills. Those are very similar to having COVID symptoms, and but that could be the flu. So what you could do to you know make sure you aren't worried about whether you have the flu or not is definitely get the flu shot. It's not 100%, but I would urge everybody to get the flu shot. One thing that's promising, though, is because of the social distancing and because of the mask wearing, we are actually seeing lower rates of the flu, which would be, yeah, because it's, you know, we're preventing the flu too by doing the social distancing and the mask wearing and hand washing and stuff. So that's good. The kill two birds with one stone, wear your mask, wash your hands and don't get the flu or COVID. And, but unfortunately, there's no real way to differentiate if someone's suffering from COVID or the flu if they happen to have them. Now, see, those would not be asymptomatic people, right? Because that means they have symptoms of some sort. So if they're really convinced, they feel short of breath, and they definitely need to get tested, not necessarily in the emergency room setting, but from somebody. And the difference, though, is the flu usually, the the contagious part of the flu is usually just two days. You know, when people do come in, like, you know, in 2019, 18, 17, 16, 15, 14, people come in, you give them you know, work for two days because they are contagious for two days and the flu can spread with the same way of coughing, runny nose, touching, so on and so forth, close proximity. So the uh, that would be one way to differentiate is just kind of the duration of symptoms because you probably would recover from the flu a little bit quicker than you would cover from COVID. But in regards to how you can tell by symptoms alone, it's probably would not be advised for me to say, this person has flu versus COVID because the symptoms can be very similar. Exactly. So, and the, just out of curiosity, does taking the flu vaccine reduce the chance of acquiring COVID? No. No. Exactly. I would, yeah. We wouldn't have we what wouldn't have these that? crazy companies working their tails off to try to get us these vaccines if they could just give us a flu vaccine and be done with it. So no, absolutely not. Um, the flu vaccine will not cover you from getting COVID. So. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> now, so I think, I think the main takeaway with flu is get your flu vaccines, especially now, to just prevent any issues. I mean, in the past, if you weren't taking, that's great because we didn't have the fear of the pandemic, right? Get your flu vaccine as, as quick as possible. Mm-hmm. And yes. I really loved the way you spoke about the COVID situation, what we need to do. And thank you for this. I couldn't have spelled it out better than myself. So I appreciate this talk today and just getting everyone ready for the basically the cold season. And that's what I really wanted. A lot of us are actually tired of talking about COVID and I get it, but because it's not going away and because we're entering the flu season, it's more important than ever to take extra precautions. Agreed. I, again, I read a lot these days about various healthcare providers and I think, you know, this is a little bit soft and mushy for this type of conversation, but We also have to be really empathetic because it's very easy to be frustrated and sad and depressed about our own woes, but a lot of us are really blessed compared to those who are not as blessed with families and homes and shelters and and jobs that are in the professional sector. We still have our jobs and livelihood that a lot of other people are not as fortunate to have. And I myself have to pinch myself because I often can get negative and get down and out about the fact that I haven't seen my friends or haven't been able to do things that I've wanted to do for a while. And I'm a, I'm a member of 
a Facebook member of this group called EM Docs, and it's a closed group, unfortunately, so it's uh, not something that the public can join, but we just talk about various cases, and a, a colleague had mentioned, like, it's very easy, because a lot of healthcare workers, believe it or not, are actually taking some pay cuts and stuff in this time as well, because the volumes have been so low in emergency room settings or in hospital settings, and a lot of them are, you know, suffering too, but clearly not to the level of those who have no livelihood. And so the, the meme or the, the, the post was just about kind of stepping back and realizing that even if things are kind of not so great for you in this time, for those who have businesses, there's people who are in a, a much worse situation. They might have even had multiple family members succumb to this disease and yet still have no livelihood, the mom and pop businesses and so on and so forth. So just always count your blessings, be thankful for what you have. It's very easy as humans to be a little bit pessimistic about what you don't have. But unfortunately, in this season of giving and this holiday season around us, we really need to go back to the roots of what this is all about. It's about cherishing your loved ones, cherishing the memories and, and strengthening those bonds and those positive things that you have to be thankful for. And it might not be a tangible Thanksgiving dinner. It might not be a tangible gift this year, but it might be even the true seasons of, of blessings and greetings in regards to what we really need to be focused on. And we'll get through this. We will. It's just, it's going to take a little bit more time and patience than we're used to. And I think that in and of itself has been really challenging. But if you look at, I say this a lot, I'm, I'm a pretty talkative person, if you can't tell, but I, I talk about like how HIV and, you know, in the early 80s, if someone had said that they have breast cancer, you would pretty much be like, okay, you know, they're going to not be here in a few years. But now look how far we've come. There's people who are survivors of breast cancer. There's people who are surviving with HIV. And this too, over time, will be like, oh, well, COVID-19 wreaked havoc for a year or two or, or maybe a little bit longer. But we came through and we have an understanding of how to deal with these types of respiratory viruses. And so I think it's, we just have to be a little patient. We have to maybe think outside of the box a little into how we're going to spend the holiday season with our loved ones and friends, but also cherish that we're in, you're, you, you have a lot to be thankful for and blessed for, and, and everyone isn't in that situation. So just have a little bit of empathy. I think it's, it's something that as you say more and you think about more, you kind of do more. So everyone should be reminded to just be a little bit more empathetic in this holiday season because what you might be thinking is plaguing you and your loved ones of not being able to take that trip to Disney World or not being able to mingle with, you know, your 60 family members. Someone is probably in a lot worse situation where they've lost a lot more this year than what you think you've lost. Absolutely. And thank you for such an insightful and beautiful thought, especially coming from a health professional like yourself and to be so human about it. And that says a lot, my dear listeners, that you really, this is the moment to really cherish, as Dr. Dikash Mishra has said, what we have and the blessings we have and what we're grateful for. And just think of those moments and pretty soon this will pass and if we really care for our neighbors or society or community and just think of them as our own and do our part in taking care of ourselves and be safe we can stop this epidemic much quicker than you think and i really hope you're taking safety as an essential part of your life and if you want to reach out 
to Dr. Vikash Mishra in terms of getting other valuable feedback. Doctor, how can we reach out to you? You know, this is my first podcast. I appreciate it. And, no, you uh, it. <laughs> um, I, I just started an Instagram called Real Talk Doc Talk, just up and running. So that would be a way to message me there first, and then we can go from there. It's on Instagram. It's just how it's spelled. It's R E A L T A L K D O C T A L K. Real Talk Doc Talk. Yeah, reach out to me if you have any questions. As long as I'm not working clinically and I'm not inundated at, at work, then I will try to reach out with whatever answers I can. Again, more of this is anecdotal, just what I've seen and experienced versus true clinical research. I, I'm happy to answer any questions anybody would like to field me. Thank you so much. There you have it. Thank you, listeners, for today's show. I love you guys. Take care and always cheers in health.